So we've been doing this series for quite a while now, actually all this year, called The Words in Red, Teaching Through the Sermons of Jesus, wanting to see what it is that Jesus said. How does Jesus define truth? What does Jesus say about himself, about God, about us, about his coming? And so we're in the section of Matthew's gospel where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. If you remember the context, what was going on, uh, Jesus had told, had, had told the religious leaders of his day that basically they were missing the main points, that they were putting their faith in their religious activity instead of putting their faith in God himself. And Jesus had kind of pronounced these woes to them in Matthew chapter 23 and, and kind of convicted them of their religious hypocrisy. And he left the temple, the place where God's people would go to worship. He left the temple in, in a very real way saying, I'm never coming back to this, to this temple. And so as they're walking away from the temple, the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, kind of look back, see how pretty the temple is? It's a beautiful building, isn't it? And Jesus had said to them, if you remember, he says, I'll tell you the truth, that not one stone is going to be left upon another. All this whole temple is going to be torn apart. And of course, in their mind, that was almost blasphemous. And they're thinking, what's going on? And so as they continue to walk, they take this half an hour walk from where the temple was to this other place called the Mount of Olives. When they get to the Mount of Olives, they, they have enough courage to say to Jesus, okay, what will be the signs of your coming and when will these things be and what will be the end of the age? They, they want to know, okay, the temple's going to be torn apart. That seems pretty dramatic. What's, when's this going to happen? What's this going to look like? And Jesus begins to unpack his answer. And we've already spent several weeks in this. It's in, the answer is given in chapter 24 and 25. And we've already spent the, the, the several weeks in this talking about how Jesus says that here's what we can expect. Uh, we can expect before the, the, the end comes, before Jesus comes back, we can expect things to be difficult. We can expect there to be a lot of false religions being promoted. We can expect things to, to not always be easy, but we can also expect God to give us the strength we need to endure. And as he continues to talk about this, he, he, he begins to give illustrations, stories, parables like Jesus often would do to help these disciples to understand what they needed to know most, which was to be ready. This was the unifying application of this whole sermon was to say, be ready. Every story he told, every parable he brought forth was to say to his disciples, be ready. I want you to be prepared for my coming, for my kingdom. And so when we pick it up in, in chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus is doing this. He's given this parable of the wise and foolish uh, virgins. And it's interesting because as he brings this up, he makes it clear that there's a distinction between the wise and the foolish. And that distinction, listen, notice, was that the wise possessed oil and the foolish did not. Now Jesus is using imagery that his disciples would have completely understood. They knew what a Jewish wedding looked like. They knew that it came in phases. They understood these things. And to be honest, we only have bits and pieces of what that looked like. And so we can't press it too hard as far as the analogy goes because we only had bits and pieces. But we do have this parable. 
We do know what Jesus is saying, and we can compare this parable to other things that Jesus said, other things that the Scripture said, to get an idea of what he means. And it's important to recognize that when he says to the disciples, when he begins the story, and he says, look, here's what distinguishes the wise and the foolish. Those virgin or think bridesmaids. Those bridesmaids that are wedding, waiting for this wedding to begin between the bridegroom and the bride. These bridesmaids, the difference between those who were foolish and those who were wise was simply the wise possessed oil. Now, you probably know that oil is often talked about as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Where that comes from is in the Old Testament, we see often uh, uh, prophets or priests or kings of Israel that were anointed with oil. In fact, that's the word, uh, the word anointed. If you see that word in Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, it simply means to be smeared with oil. That's what anointed means. And so when they talk about this oil, this oil in lamps, obviously this was in this story just oil in lamps, but it, it, I'm sure it provoked in the minds of the disciples of, okay, why is the oil so important? Now, this picture of oil being a picture of the Holy Spirit, it's also carried into the New Testament. L- listen to this. This is John the Apostle writing in 1 John chapter 2. He says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all, you, uh, and all of you know the truth. As for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now, this anointing is is a reference to the Holy Spirit. We know that just because this is how it's always been referenced, but even some of the most respected Bible translators see this. And that's why the New Living Translation kind of paraphrases it this way. Listen, this is the same verse, 1 John 2.27 in the New Living Translation. It says, But you have received the Holy Spirit, instead of putting the word anointing. And he lives within you, and you do not need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie, just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. So we see both Old Testament and New Testament, oil, the smearing of oil, this anointing speaks of the work of God's Holy Spirit. So we come to this parable. And Jesus is talking about these bridesmaids and the fact that the foolish, they they weren't ready. Now why is he doing this? Why is he bringing this up? Well, one of the things that we need to understand is, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that nobody, not a single individual, can be saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I mean when I say saved? It's kind of a churchy word, isn't it? What I mean by saved, it, saved, delivered, I mean no one can be made right with God. They can't be saved from the consequence of their own sin. They can't be brought into a right relationship with God apart from the work of God's Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that's taught so clearly in Scripture, it almost seems like I shouldn't have to unpack it, but it's important for us to get this through our heads. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 3. Listen, 
Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. You guys know the story, right? John chapter 3. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, kind of a leader of God's people, someone who should have known these things. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. I assure you, Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce, reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus is saying this to a guy named Nicodemus who came to him at night Saying to him, we know you're from God, Jesus. We believe you're from God. Because no one could do the things you do unless they were from God. And Jesus says, listen, before you go any further, let me say, you need to be born again. That's your need. The big fancy theological word for it is regeneration. You need new life. Now this is important to understand. Because Jesus, in telling his disciples this, I believe, is is wanting them to see something that he wanted Nicodemus to see. Something I believe Nicodemus came to see. Nicodemus was one of the guys who took Jesus' body off the cross and buried him in his tomb. It was in Nicodemus' tomb that Jesus was buried. But it was a recognition that religious works are never going to be enough. There's something else that needs to happen. Let's carry on with this this picture. Look at verse 5. It says, but but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. At midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. In other words, listen, Jesus in saying this parable, he says, listen, wise uh, bridesmaids, foolish bridesmaids, listen, they all had the same experiences, they all did the same actions. All of them, listen, slumbered and slept while they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. Now, this typically happened in weddings because the, 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 bride, uh, the bride was in, and groom had been engaged for a year, and then they were kind of like, it's going to be around this few days that he comes back to get his bride. And so they would kind of start partying ahead of time and waiting for the bridegroom to come in anticipation. And then the rumors would fly, oh, he's coming today. Oh, we're all ready. But then they're waiting and they're waiting, and so they all start to fall asleep. They all started to fall asleep, it says. Also, it says, a cry was heard. Who was it heard by? All of them. It says, then verse 7, they all, all, they all rose and they trimmed their lamps. They prepared their lamps, got their wicks cut, lit them on fire. They all had the same actions. They all had the same experience. But there's still this distinction between the wise and the foolish. Listen, Jesus, I believe, wanted his disciples to understand, the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that the work of the Spirit is what's needed to make us right with God, not our works. It's not our works that make us right with God. Listen to this. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, God saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins. Notice, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. We need this work. So the the lesson that Jesus wanted to get across is, listen, you need the work of the Spirit in you. It's not you just doing more works. It's you experiencing what only God can do for you. 
Now, now we need to understand what the Holy Spirit does. First, let me be really clear. When we say the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a who, not a what. God has revealed himself in Scripture as Father, Son, and Spirit. One God manifest in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about some impersonal force. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit's taught to, uh, the Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He has that kind of emotion, personhood. He has a will, he chooses. The Holy Spirit is, is seen as a person that we can offend. So the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit as a person, the third person of the Trinity. But what does the Holy Spirit do? Listen, I'm going to give you several things. They'll be on the screen. You can list these and keep them for your notes. Listen. First, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for Jesus. If you are, for whatever reason, I don't care if you've grown up in the church or just started to come to church the last couple of weeks, if you are beginning to see, I need Jesus I need him to save me. I have a need for a savior. If you're beginning to understand that, guess what's happening? The Holy Spirit's working in your life. God's working in your life. He convicts us of our need for Jesus. But not only that, listen, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the trustworthiness of Jesus. If you're beginning to realize, whether it's the, the, the preaching that you hear here on a Sunday or your own Bible reading or your experience with other Christians, if you're beginning to realize, I can trust this Jesus, guess what's happening? The Holy Spirit is showing you that. He's revealing to you that you can trust Him. Also, listen, the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us to trust Jesus. You know, when, when we often at the end of the service, we will sort of have a time where we say, you know, we want you to respond to give you an opportunity to kind of uh, cry out to God if you don't know him or, or, or pray or, or turn to God. Just a chance to respond to what you've heard. We're not doing that because we're trying to manipulate you. We're doing that to give you an opportunity to respond to what we assume the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life. We assume that because it's biblical and we assume that because we're asking God to do that. Now, I hope you don't feel uncomfortable with that. It's just not, we're not trying to make you feel trapped, but you just need to know if you're visiting today, we've been praying that the Holy Spirit would do a work on your life. There was a young man that used to go to my youth group back in California. Grew up in a Christian home. His father was a pastor of a Spanish-speaking church in Mexicali. His parents made him come to church. They're a lovely couple. Uh, his dad went to home to be with the Lord a couple years ago, but his name was Jose, and Jose used to come to me, and all, always worried about his son. He used to say, Jan, my son, he no listen to me. Tell Jan, please tell him, cut his hair, he looked like a girl, oh please. Just really freaking out about his, his kid. And this kid was a typical, what you've, or stereotypical, pastor's kids aren't like this always, but stereotypically he was what we think pastor's kids are, the rebellious ones. And this kid was rebellious. He was coming to youth group stoned. He was only there because his parents made him go. And he would every week before youth group think, I know why I can't believe in this Jesus rubbish. I know, I have my excuse. Here's the reason why. And he'd come to youth group and every week, every single week, me or whoever else was teaching would answer that question or deal with that objection. And he'd be like, dope. <laughs> Happened week after week after week. What was going on? The Holy Spirit was working in him to show him, no, you need Jesus, Jeremy. You need Jesus, and you can trust Jesus. You can trust his words. And he's calling you to trust him. 
He did. He's now a youth pastor, doing really well, got a beautiful family. But it was not because of what we did. It wasn't because we had a cool youth ministry, though we did. It was pretty cool. It wasn't because of great teaching or anything like that. It was because, listen, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, was drawing him to himself. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for Jesus. He reveals the trustworthiness of Jesus. He calls us to trust Jesus. And listen, the Holy Spirit adopts us into God's family as we receive Jesus. Now, this is this point of that big word, regeneration. When God calls us to trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit is convicting us and showing us, yes, i got to cry out, and we finally say, yes, God, save me. You know what God does? He saves us. You know what it means to be saved? It means we were once slaves to our sin. We were once in this kingdom of darkness and he transfers us out of that kingdom and puts us into his kingdom. We were once sons and daughters of the devil. I know it sounds extreme and kind of God TV stuff, but it's true. Our father was, we followed suit what the enemy wanted us to do. And what did he do? He took us out of that demonic family and he adopts us into his family. This is what Romans 8.15 talks about. The Holy Spirit does that. And it's God's Spirit then who assures us when we're wondering, is this true? Does this really happen? Is God working in my life? It's God's Spirit who's assuring us, listen, do you trust Jesus? Yes, I trust Jesus. You're going, yeah, I do trust Jesus. Then be assured you belong to Him. It's God's Spirit who testifies to our spirit that we are indeed children of God, that we're adopted. He does this. So not only does he ad- adopt us as we receive Jesus, but listen, the Spirit uses us, once we've been adopted in the family, to help one another become like Jesus. Church is not a spectator sport. We have that 15, 20-minute break, not just because we like coffee. We have that break so that we can get to know each other, learn to love each other, and help each other become more like Jesus. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit wants to use every single one of you. And he wants to use every single one of you in every single uh, person's life, including mine. And you might think, oh, we, we, need, we need you, John, and, and we need Adam, and we need Joe, we need the pastors. You guys lead us, we need you. Well, guess what? We need you as much as you need us. We all need each other. Not because we have something great we bring to the table, but because the Spirit of God wants to work through us. A little Facebook reminder came up this week. Uh, you know, the little stupid anniversary things that they plague you with every day. But this one was a good one. It was about uh, a young woman named Selena, a Chinese international student who got saved about five years ago, or got baptized about five years ago. Some of you might remember Selena. And Selena had this amazing testimony it was over a process of, of, I think, over a year where she was at the fellowship and God was doing this work. And when she wanted to be baptized, I was asking her the normal questions we ask to make sure people understand baptism, understand salvation. Because we're not saved by being baptized. We're baptized because we're saved. And so we're explaining these kinds of things uh, to her and stuff. And she begins to tell me her story. And I said, you've got to share your story when you get baptized. And she was like really nervous. I said, well, would you at least write out your story? So she wrote out her story and it was a beautiful story. It was a perfect picture of what we're talking about right now. It was the story of 
not how this person helped me know Jesus, but these people. She listed by name at least 10 different people whom God had used in a variety of different ways to help her realize that, that she needed Jesus, that she could trust Jesus, that Jesus was calling her to believe, and that Jesus would, would, would bring her into his family. It was a whole group thing that God did. And to God be the glory because God did it through a bunch of different people. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit uses us to help one another become like Jesus. Next, lastly, listen, the Holy Spirit changes us to be like Jesus. See, listen, we would not come to Jesus unless God's Spirit drew us to Jesus. We would not trust Jesus unless God's Spirit called us to trust Jesus. We would not be in the family of Christ unless God, God's Spirit brought us into the family. He regenerated us into God's family. We would not continue on in the faith unless God's Spirit was working in us. And we will not one day be made like Jesus apart from the work of God's Spirit. But this is the promise that he makes us, right? Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Who's he? The Spirit of Christ. He's working in us. Now, this is really important because, remember, Jesus has given us this parable. He's talking about being ready, being prepared for his coming, and that necessitates the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. This is Galatians chapter 3. It should be on the screen. Paul writes, Oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? He's being sarcastic. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? That's the question he's asking. Listen, Paul's asking the the, the Galatians. God would ask us, Hey, When God worked on your life, was it because you were so obedient in the great works you did? Is that why? Did you earn the work of God's Holy Spirit? What's the answer? Of course not. (laughs) You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? Are you starting your, after starting your new lives in the Spirit, Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Do you get this? Do you see see how what Jesus is saying about the bridesmaids, about the virgins, connects to what Paul says here in Galatians 3? Apart from the work of God's Spirit, ain't none of us going to make it. We need to be being filled with God's Spirit. We need to learn to be surrendered, dependent upon the work of God's Spirit. That be being filled, that's, that's an exact translation of Ephesians 5.18, when we're commanded, be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, which is wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit. Literally, it means be being filled, ongoingly, learning to be surrendered to the work of God's Holy Spirit. It's got to be God's Spirit who does this. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to be prepared for how difficult it may become for you, if you're going to grow as a follower of me, it's got to be a work of my Spirit. 
Now that's both humbling and liberating. It's humbling because, let's be honest, we want to think it's about us. We do, don't we? We, we, we want to take some credit. I know I, I'm like that. When I became a Christian, when God, and God did a radical, I had one of those radical you know, conversion experiences. I mean, it wasn't just like a gradual thing. I know many of you probably had more of a kind of gradual slide into the kingdom where God drug you into the kingdom, basically. God just went slap and just brought me right in right away. Just, just boom, immediately. But I had this mindset was, wow, this is great, God. I get to know you. I don't have to go to hell. And you got one great guy on your team. <laughs> We're going to do good stuff, me and you. Now, I'm encouraged by the fact that I'm not the only person who's ever felt that way. It's even in, in, even in those who are included in God's hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11 are like that. Remember Gideon? Right? God calls Gideon, says, Gideon, oh, you man of God. And Gideon's this total coward kind of doing farm work, waiting for God's enemies to go away. And God says, no, Gideon, I'm going to use you to bring great victory. Gideon gathers this huge army and God whittles that army down to 300 and then does a supernatural work of deliverance. But when Gideon announces what God's going to do, what does he say? The sword of the Lord! Damn Gideon. That's what he does, doesn't he? This is what we want to do by nature. We want to say, I want some credit for my salvation. And what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples, what Paul was trying to get across to the Galatians, what God wants to get across to us, is that no, it's going to be a work of God. It's humbling. I can't do it, Lord. Apart from you, I can do nothing. It's humbling. But guess what? It's also liberating. Lord, I can't do it, but you're going to. You are going to. You're, it's you who works the Bible says in the book of Philippians, it's not on the screen, you're going to have to write this one down and look it up yourself, but the Bible says in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, I think it's 12 and, verses 12 and 13, says that, uh, what does it say? I just went blank. <laughs> it talks about um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, in you, both to will, that is to want, and to do, that is to accomplish for his good pleasure. Why do you want to seek God at all? Because God's Spirit is working in you. How do you find the power to do these things that God calls you to do? Because God's Spirit is working in you. Can you see why it's foolish not to have the oil? Can you see why it's so serious not to have the oil? Can you see how this parable works? Now, Where are they going to get this oil? The parable continues, verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. They knew that there was a need, so what do they do? They asked the people next to them, Give me some of yours. But the wise answered, Say, No, lest there there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather uh, to those who sell and buy for yourself. Now, when they had these wedding feasts, it was very common because it was a huge celebration and it was kind of a surprise thing. They would have merchants that would sort of have these, they would actually have stuff to sell. So you, you're kind of irresponsible if you hadn't gone there before you went to wait. But you could rush out and get this, okay? Now, what this is teaching, though, I believe, I believe this is, kind of gives us this really important illustration. Jesus is saying, listen, he's not saying it's good to be a selfish uh, bridesmaid and not to share. That's not his point. What his point is this is, listen, when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, you don't get it by proximity. You don't get it from another person. 
Now, there is this biblical picture of people uh, uh, in the New Testament of the laying on of hands where someone lays hands on somebody so they might be filled with the Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. It's not wrong to lay hands on somebody. But, but when we turn it into some sort of a supernatural kind of like, oh, I have the anointing, I'll lay hands on you, and whoop, you'll get, the, you'll get the zip of the Spirit, that's actually taking something beyond what the Scripture says. The Holy Spirit doesn't get, it's not like I have more of the Holy Spirit, so if I zap you, you're going to get the Holy Spirit too. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. He does what He wills. Listen. He's wanting these guys to understand, listen, this is something you're not, you're, you're not going to receive the work of the Spirit just through being around other Christians. There's a need that you have to go to God himself. This is really important, especially for you who've grown up in the church. There is no salvation through association. Now, I, I have, I used to, I'll be, I'll be honest, I'll confess, I used to be quite judgmental of church people when I first became a Christian because I was so zealous on fire for God. I thought, what's wrong with these people? They're so, so, like, well, Jesus died for us. Kind of cool. What? What? How can you be so casual about something so amazing? Now I've been a Christian for 30 years. I understand how that kind of casualness can creep in. We get familiar. And as the saying goes, familiarity can breed contempt. But it's important for us to recognize, listen, especially if we grew up in the church, that salvation doesn't come through association. You're not going to get salvation. You're not going to experience the work of the Spirit because just because you're in just the exact right church. You know, I always marvel at people who get radically saved in the dodgiest churches. I'm, and I'm not, being, I'm not trying to be harsh. I think, why would people go to that church? It's either so dead or it's just so loopy or whatever. And I think, how do people become Christians? But God, it's because God does it. It's because God does it. You ever see, ever, I don't know, some of you guys here might feel a bit weird about sort of supernatural healings and stuff. I think the Bible's really clear God still does that. And what marvels, what I marvel at is how and when God does it. Sometimes he heals through people. I'm like, Lord, why would you use that guy? He's a kook. And I'll tell you what, too, the few times that God has done supernatural healings through my prayers, there wasn't even much faith. I think, Lord, how, how come when I've prayed for great, with great faith, nothing seems to happen? But then when I'm like, all right, well, you can do this, God, so do it. Boom, you do something. How does that work? <laughs> because it's got nothing to do with us. Come on. It's not about association with other people, other movements, particular churches. It's about God doing what only God can do. Now, the sad thing is, in this parable, what happens? They say, no, go buy for yourselves. So they go to buy, verse 10. And as they did, the bridegroom came. And it says that the door was shut. And afterwards, they're banging on the door. Lord, Lord, let us in. Now, this would sometimes happen in these weddings where someone would sort of flake off and they wouldn't have enough sort of oil for their lamp or you've probably heard the other test, the other uh, parable of having a wedding garment they didn't have a wedding garment so they couldn't get in but in those circumstances in those cultures there would be a, a public shame but they probably would get in they'd be like oh, I can't believe fine here's some oil you're so embarrassing right now you know 
but they would probably still get in. So what Jesus says in verse 12 is shocking to the disciples. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. You can't come in. That was shocking to them. He didn't say, I never knew you, though he says that in another place. He didn't say, take this back. He didn't say, oh, sorry, I know you, but it's too late for me to open up. He just said, I don't know you. I don't know you. Now, this echoes what Jesus had said earlier in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, notice I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I believe, according to the words of Jesus there, that there are going to be people who have done miracles. God's done miracles through them who never actually knew God. And when they see God face to face, they see Jesus face to face and say, I, I never knew you. We were never in a relationship. I, I worked in spite of you, but I never dwelt in you. Sobering stuff, isn't it? See, the point that is going on here, what's happening here is that these, these guys were trying to get, the foolish were trying to get something from the wise, but there's no salvation through association. So what do they do? They lose their opportunity. They waited too long. They lost their opportunity. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 6.2. He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you. He's quoting Isaiah. And in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, the Holy Spirit, oil, is a necessity, and now is the opportunity. Hey, if you're playing church, if you're going through the motions, how long are you going to wait? Because when Jesus comes back, it's done. Please understand, this is the heart of Jesus. His heart is, is that you would know Him. He sends His Holy Spirit so that we could know Him, be in relationship with Him, be made like Him, be adopted to His family. We just saw all that list, didn't we? He wants to do this. Now is the time. Now is the time. Can I ask you a really serious question? Can you recognize the work of the God's Holy Spirit in your life? Do you know that you need the work of Jesus, his death, his resurrection? Do you know that? Do you know you can trust Jesus? Who he is, what he's done, what his word says. Do you know him? 
Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Have you called out and said, God, please save me because of Jesus? I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I needed that. I have sinned against you, God, but I believe you sent Jesus to deal with my sins. I need you to save me based on his death, his resurrection. Have you asked him to save you? Seriously, let's, let's not mess about. I understand you might have doubts or questions, but this is serious business. This is the words of Jesus. He is wanting us to be ready, and we have to be ready by the work of God's Spirit, by work He does. Have you asked Him to do that work? Do you know you've been adopted into His family? Do you have that kind of assurance? that you are a son or daughter of God through faith in Jesus. Because let me tell you, it's only through faith in Jesus. There's no other way. You can't add to that work. You can't take away from it. The Holy Spirit will apply it. Is he changing you? Are you confident that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it? This is important. Now is the opportunity. We're going to give you an opportunity to pray to receive Christ as your Savior. No prayer saves you. God saves you. This is simply you responding to God's Holy Spirit, acknowledging that He's doing a work in you and you need Him to save you. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you believe the words that I am praying, I want every one of you, even if you've been a Christian forever, if you believe the words that I am praying, repeat these words or something similar as your prayer to God. Father, I believe that you, God, are real. God, I believe I have sinned against you. Lord, I also believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe his death provides enough for my forgiveness. And I believe he is risen from the dead. Please send your Holy Spirit to change me. Please teach me to trust Jesus. And please finish the work that you've begun in me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, maybe for the first time in faith, can you tell somebody? Come and talk to me. Or if you're in a place where you're just going, I don't know what's next. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure about the rest of this Jesus stuff. I have so many questions still. Well, then please come and talk.
Because the Lord wants you to be ready. I'm going to close with this last verse and give you three really quick points and then I'll dismiss you. Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch therefore. What does it mean to watch? Three basic quick things. Quickly, ready? To watch means, listen, watching means recognizing you have an enemy. The scripture says this, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, watchful, same words, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You have an enemy, he wants you not to believe. Watching also though, listen, watching also means acknowledging your weakness. Listen to what Jesus says about watching. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Be watchful, strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die, for have not found your works perfect before God. Even if you feel like you're barely hanging on the faith, Jesus is saying, Watch, pray, come back. He also says in, Re- in Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. That means unexpectedly. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Thus he walks naked and they see his shame. He's not talking about keeping your clothes on, though that's a good idea. He's talking about making sure you know that you've only been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So hold on to that fact. Watching means acknowledging your weakness, your need for God. And watching, listen, simply means also seeking God in prayer. Here's how you know. Here's one of the ways you know God's Spirit's going to work in you. You are drawn to talk to Him. <laughs> you're, you're drawn. I need to pray. I need to, I need to go spend some time with God. Listen again to what the Scripture says. Colossians 4, 2 and 3 says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, Paul says, that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mysteries of Christ for which I am in chains. In other words, let's seek God for our own walks, but let's seek God that he would do a work through our, our lives to help people come to know Jesus. Let's pray that God's spirit would do that work.